This week's podcast is brought to you by CycleWorks. Guys, I want to thank CycleWorks so much for sponsoring this podcast. If you are at all interested in biking or riding your bike down a trail or out at Pat May's Lake at the Barber Hills, the place to go is CycleWorks. They've got all kinds of bikes you can check out, all different styles. Uh, the Hilliards are amazing people. Go check them out. Welcome to another Paris, Texas, a podcast. This is a podcast where you get to listen to people's stories, people that have either influenced or lived in the city of Paris, Texas. I love hearing their stories, and I can't wait for you to hear the next guest. All right, this week's uh, guest is Daryl Farrellsburg. What's up, bud? <laughs> What's happening? Uh, uh, I was about to call you Hollywood. I've been called Hollywood many times. You know why you do that? Is because you, you stuttered on my name for just a split second. Yes. And so when that happened, this is how quick that I'll think, unfortunately. As soon as you said that, I said I should make a joke and flubber his name. And then I lost it and started to call you Hollywood as opposed to Broadway. That's funny. It's hilarious. Um, That's what it's about. Yeah, it's all about that. Uh, so where are you from? Uh, originally from Corpus Christi. I was born and raised there. That's my home out on the island. I lived in uh, West Texas for uh, 15, 16 years before I ended up in Paris. So no, I'm not from Paris. I understand the question of the Parisian parasite that you no longer wish to ask. Yeah. So I am a parasite. I am just sucking the blood out of this community. That's that's <laughs> one way to do it. <laughs> Kidding. No, yeah. We, uh, we've been here for about 10 years now. So how long were you in Corpus Christi? Until uh, I was uh, 17, I moved away from home. And... Uh, I, I go back frequently. I'll be back in a couple weeks. In fact, are your fam- so your family's all still down there? All of them, mother, okay. brother, their family, sister and her family. They're all there. Uh, what? So you went to high school there? Yeah. Like, what was your thing in high school? Like, what did you? Oh man, yeah, I went to a really big school that had a very split um, social economical base. It was we had forty eight hundred kids at our school. It was one. Of, it was like one of the biggest five A's uh, ever, and. So, I kind of just I blended in. Wow. You know, I I didn't didn't stand out. I'm music, I love sports, um, but my my main hobby was my neighborhood. I lived in a uh, in a neighborhood that we were all uh, kind of close knit. We all had the same economic background, and we all just played sports in the park next door, and that was it. Were you as funny as you are now? Then I don't know. Like you I, my weren't father, like the class clown, or yes, I was. Okay. I, I was especially in elementary school, junior high, a little bit. I was trying to find myself. High school, I was just trying to get out. I was trying yeah. to get out safely. True. And um, so I, I believe I was. Everybody says I was, but I don't know. My father was very funny. He was. He was a very funny guy. I thought, and he loved comedies. And so, um, did y'all grow up like watching like shows? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I watched uh, my father and I Saturday night. We. Watched Saturday Night Live in the late seventies, early eighties. That was his thing, and loved. He introduced me to all the movies. That was kind of a bit of irony. Is that he loved um, George Carlin before George uh, went rogue, and even after. And my dad had eight tracks of George Carlin. Mm-hmm. And for Christmas one year, I'm going to guess probably 1980, 1981, that my folks got. Got me a small, inexpensive Sears console stereo that had an eight-track player. And I didn't have really anything to listen to. And my dad worked on the offshore oil rig, so he'd be gone for three weeks at a time. So I started listening to his 8-tracks. And he had the old Cheech and Chong 8-tracks, and he had the old uh, uh, George Carlin 8-tracks, and even Richard Pryor 8-tracks, and things that a child shouldn't be listening to at the age of 10. And I remember listening to the early George stuff, and I thought, how silly Class Clown was and some of these other 8-tracks. And then my father found out, and... As I grew a little older, you know, I, I started to understand a little bit more and didn't realize how much of a fan he was. Um, unfortunately, he passed away when I was younger. Uh, and then years later in my career, I was very fortunate to spend a little time with George. And I could just only imagine how thrilled my father would have been. That's awesome. Yeah, kind of comes full circle, I guess. Do you remember your first, like, uh, live show you went to? Mm-hmm. Was that in? For me or to see somebody? To, for you to see somebody. Ironically, it was George Carlin. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was in... um, No, I went to a comedy club once prior to that, but I saw George Carlin 
when my wife and I, right after we got married, we were in Las Vegas, and um, I remember seeing that show. That was 1998, and uh, I had seen a club show once prior to that, but that was really about it. Stand-up for me was only through eight-track cassette and then CD at that time. Wow. Yeah, we just lived in an isolated market, and I didn't travel. We were... You know, I came from a kind of a poor background, and we didn't have the opportunity to see anything. Yeah. So that was a big deal to to see uh, to see him live. And that was 1998. Yeah. So when you graduated high school, what was the plan? Where were you going to go? Oh man, I had I had them all. Uh, I was I was going to try to play football. I was going to try to go off to college, and then um, grades weren't very good. And my father had passed away two years prior to that. Okay. And my mother uh, was trying to go to college at the same time to become a nurse. So I went to school. And, um, or I went to to high school, finished up high school, and I started working immediately to kind of make ends meet. And after about uh, three months of working, uh, I was involved in a, in a uh, head-on collision where I lost my left knee and my hip and, and most of my femur, and it kind of crippled me, for lack of better words. And so I didn't, didn't do, didn't go try to play ball, didn't do anything college-wise. I just was on the mend for about a year, and then, uh, then I just found a job and started working. So did that that wreck wreck most <laughs> of your plans? <laughs> yeah, it did. It wrecked a lot of things. But yeah. uh, very fortunate because it it uh, I had to grow up very early with, with my father passing. I, I I took care of the family, yeah. you know. And so uh, he died when I was fifteen. He was he was thirty seven. I was the oldest of three, and so I I had to take care of house and home and family and, and what have you. So the wreck even made me more mature if you will yeah and uh, i went to work and the only job i could really get at the time was selling vacuum cleaners door to door really that's, that's all i could find there was the unemployment rate was so high and unless you could work on a refinery in south texas which i could with my leg or work in the oil field you had to find a, a retail job or a sales job so i i I didn't have any opportunity. Were you, you any know? good at it? Yeah, I was really good at it, unfortunately. And uh, it took me uh, you know, all over the world. I sold them door to door for, you know, fifteen years. Made really? A, yeah, opened up a distributorship and uh, the whole nine yards. I did not know that. Mm-mm. That's was, fascinating. That's where comedy started. Was I learned to to uh, do it in, in live presentations, and then I learned to train other people, and then I moved to to Lubbock. Um, and helped a gentleman open up an office there and that's where i met my wife she was a college student at texas tech so you're saying you used comedy when you went to knock on a door someone owed up you would use comedy to make them laugh and then make the sale just use that in the personality just have fun the assumption was if i was on somebody's doorstep for two minutes then and and i and if they had a good time and felt comfortable then they knew the next hour would be the same and and then there was no and I wasn't out to do any harm or whatever and, yeah and um, you know times have changed of course this is twenty something years ago but then I I was you know would be in I'd, I'd do well we'd you know make the sale or whatever and then they would refer me to somebody else and then that's how it happened and I did that till uh, for a number of years like I said I met my wife she was in, in Lubbock and and uh, and you were still selling yeah yeah okay. yeah. yeah. And then I qualified to open up a distributorship, and they wanted, they gave me the territory of the Texas Panhandle, and I moved to Amarillo. And uh, I, uh, Heather, she went with me. Uh, you were just dating at that time. Yeah, yeah, we were uh, we were just dating. She uh, saw something. What I don't know. And I uh, decided <laughs> still trying to, to figure that still out. Still trying to figure that out. You know, twenty years later, she's like, what, what, where did I miss? What, what's going on? And she uh, she went up there with me. She transferred to she went from Texas Tech to West Texas A and M. She was in school. She was in college, yeah, okay. and um, and then we we stayed there till two thousand and eight. So, yeah, we we got um, that, the vacuum cleaner business was was fun. I mean, we made a lot of money. We won a lot of trips and all kinds of fancy stuff, and you know, it was all you know. But it was consumerism had changed, and the business had changed, and I didn't like it. And at the time, I invested. Um, I was a partner in a minor league hockey team, and that took all my energy. And about that time, I started already started doing stand up, and so they both of those were the new occupations. So I kind of left the business. So what started you wanting to do stand up? I just thought that it would be something I'd want to do. You know, it would just seem like something that would be fun. And so I started going to. There was a comedy club in Amarillo called the Amarillo Comedy Club. 
and uh, I would go there on open mic night on Wednesday nights, and I would watch. I didn't. I wouldn't go up. So for the first six weeks, seven weeks, you soaked it in. Just watched. I just wanted to see what they were going to do, what uh, what was involved, and just kind of watch them. I'd already written five minutes of material out. I already had my first five. I was ready to go. Then uh, I remember his name. His name was Tony Durda. He was the local weatherman, and he had brought some friends to open mic night and he went up on open mic night and to be frank he what we refer to as ate it you know he, he bombed and i thought uh this is your night go behind somebody that just bombed because if he bombed and and you can't and you can dig it out you're going to be okay so i went up on stage i did my five minutes and uh, did terrific when i came down um the uh, house mc the comic that was kind of resonant there uh, Aaron Baker pulled me aside and said, how long have you been doing this? I said, oh, that's my first time. He said, oh, you're out of here. No. and Yeah, no, really, it's my first time. I've done other public speaking events, so that it became natural to me. But the content was written well and was put together. And he said, uh, let's talk. And that was the beginning. I mean, that really was. He, he sat me down and said, uh, you need to get up on stage more. And he took me under his wing and kind of taught me the protocol, the business, and what I needed to do. I mean, here's a guy, you know, Again, keep in mind, at that point in time, I was a semi-successful business person, you know, and, and uh, a full-grown man with a mortgage and a, you know, and everything else, and an office building. And, and this guy was was teaching me this new line of work, and uh, I I just from there just took off, you know. Wow, and it's been. And you weren't married ride. yet. At that time, we were married. Oh, you were married. Yeah, okay. I was married. I, I've been doing comedy since. Right before my son was born, so 17 years. Okay. And I professionally, um, where I did it full time for the last 12 years. Uh, but the, for the that time prior to that, you know, there's a lot of, it takes a lot of time for somebody to get to the point where you can go on a stage, do 45 minutes, and then get paid for it that you can respectfully go home and say, I got a paycheck. Yeah. It takes a little bit of time. And fortunately for me, I, I, I was fast tracked a little bit because I, I did. I was older, I a little bit more mature, you know, I didn't I didn't have some of the uh, some of the saddles that come with some of the challenges, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of a lot of people that end up in comedy is typically some form of therapy. Uh, there's something wrong in their life. That's what they say we're all damaged goods. Mm-hmm. I think that's true to a degree. You yeah. know, I, I used comedy as a child to either get me out of sticky situations or to keep people from especially children being focused on my weight. I've always been had my my weight would fluctuate as I as as I was as I grew, you know, as I was mm-hmm. a kid. It you'd get heavy and I would thin out a little bit and then reproportionate, you know, and what have you. But as a child, as in an elementary school or even in junior high, you know, it's it's a challenge mm-hmm. to, to deal with the weight. Even back then, our bullying was direct. It wasn't uh, digital then. You know, it was just yeah. it was in your face. So I think comedy was was my 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 diffusal to keep that from happening yep you know to keep those people at bay and then uh then all of a sudden i was cool because of being funny so going back to that original question unfortunately i did i answered that incorrectly you're right yeah i I guess i was kind of a funny kid and it was used as a mechanism to uh to protect my 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 gentle solar being i guess you know yeah and an outlet if you will for yeah yeah, a, uh, a shield. Yeah, that's there you exactly go. what that's it was. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, so so it took you, you said eighteen years, and then for the last twelve, you've been professional. Um, Pretty much, yeah, full time. Yeah. So when you started doing it full time, what did that look like? Terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah, I mean, we made the we made that transition. We had sold our interest in the hockey team, um, which at that time was uh, almost a loss. It was just kind of like a sister kisser. Like, it just didn't count, you know? Yeah. This is one of those things where we said, well, that was a really fun, expensive hobby. And uh, I sold my uh, – I, I liquidated my distributorship, and uh, I started out on the road. And, and my family – and at that time, I started getting a lot of work. Um, and I was doing some competitions and some other things. And my family lived in, in Amarillo, and I didn't want them to be by themselves because – all of my family was in Corpus, so I didn't want my wife and son to be so far away from family while I was on the road. Her family was here in Paris. Okay. So her and her mom opened up a, uh, uh, a scrapbook store uh, okay. over on the Loop. And so I moved them here 
in early or mid 2000. Yeah, they came out in May of 2008. Okay. Uh, my daughter at the time was probably just a year old. Zoe was about a year old, so she's 11 now. It's about right. And then uh, I didn't I didn't show up here, quote unquote, permanently till about November. So we got a place. I got them settled in. I would come and visit, but I'd be here Monday to Wednesday, and then I'd be on an airplane Thursday through Sunday in you know, Sheboygan, Wisconsin, or you know Minnesota somewhere, just at a yuck yuck hut, trying to make people laugh, and then make my way back, and, and then do it all again. So, do you have any? Do you even have a rough guesstimate of how many places you played? No, or not played, but you've. No, I need performed. to look and see. There's a few states I haven't been to that I haven't performed in, mostly on the, the northeastern seaboard. There's a, a lot of um, – it's a harder set of comedy in my book. And, you know, I've talked to agents and like, no, you would do great. And, I'm, I, and I would just say I'm terrified of New York audiences. Uh, Los Angeles and West Coast audiences, no big deal. I, I love them. Flyover states, the Midwest, love, love, love the Midwest. I think it's terrific. I, I mean – I'm very fortunate that I have enough comedy clubs and theaters that are within a five-hour drive or a two-hour flight that uh, can keep me busy year-round. I try to work 150 nights a year, and then I try to leave the rest open. Family. Yes. And so, like, and it's kind of hard because, like, when June comes, May and June, I, I try to stay off the road because... That's summer, and, and we're we're big lake people, and uh, we spend a lot of time. We cross the border and go to Beaver's Bend for weeks at a time. Um, and then my son plays high school football. So when the fall starts in, in August, September, and October, I can't. I don't want to miss those Friday night games. We yeah, we have one year left as a senior, so I'm not going to miss them. And the clubs, the comedy clubs, they contract you Wednesday or Thursday through Saturday night. So you have to play all the nights. So I don't have anybody booked other than little one-nighter bars or these little theaters. I find these 150-seat uh, theaters that we go in, book a show, and that's that's my, my paycheck for the week. And unfortunately, that's what I have to do, but I wouldn't miss them. I wouldn't miss those for the world. You yeah, know? it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, my dad missed so much, you know, dying well, when he, he did. Yeah, because he's gone for... Yeah, he missed it all. Driver's license. I used to tell myself that I would live long enough just to make sure I did the things that he didn't. Yeah. And then I realized, well, he didn't do a lot of things, so I guess I'll have to live a long time, you know? <laughs> I'll walk my daughter down the aisle. I'll, yeah. Uh, I'll uh, go to the football games. I'll, I'll, I'll go to... Uh, graduation. Oh, graduation. I missed graduation. You know, missed it all. So I don't want to. I don't want to miss any of that stuff. Yeah. So I, I'm. I'm here. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. Um. So have you ever done any non-U.S. gigs? Uh, yes, Canada, Mexico. That, but nothing. I haven't done. I was scheduled to go to the Middle East in 2009, and on a uh, uh, Armed Forces Entertainment or USO oh. thing, and I really wanted to do that, but Zoe. Yeah. was just a few months old at the time, and, and uh, Heather and I talked about it, and we thought it was best not to. And, uh, the opportunities come up once or twice more, but just timing. I have a very good friend who does it a great deal, uh, Slade Ham. He's a terrific comic. He's constantly, if you watch his Instagram feed, you'll just be jealous because they were in Greenland doing a, a base Ooh. in northern Greenland. Three days later, they're in... Um, what are they, uh, Puerto Rico or someplace, you know? Uh, then he's in Europe, and he's in here and there. And so, you know, I kind of envy that. I suspect uh, I kick one kid out of the house next year. I've got seven years left on the other. Maybe then. Yeah. You know, maybe. It'd be we'll, like vacation for you guys. Yeah, that's kind of how I'd see it, you know, because uh, when I looked at the itinerary in the last one, we would fly to Ramstein in Germany, and then, no, no, we go to Amsterdam, have a layover in Amsterdam, and then we went to Ramstein, and then we flew from Ramstein to, uh, um, not Yemen, uh, Saudi Arabia or someplace, and then into, they were going into Afghanistan and Iraq, and this is during wow. wartime. I mean, you're when you do those, you're on um, pallets in some cases in a mm -hmm. tent uh, on the front line. You know, and and trying to make these guys laugh, have a good time, remind yeah. them of home. I've done a lot of other military stuff stateside, and they're mm -hmm. super appreciative, yeah. regardless. You know, yeah. so um, maybe we'll uh, 
maybe we'll do that. Also, the other part of that too is when you go to those, they give you uh, the 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 flap jackets, you know, the the military mm-hmm. uh, bulletproof. And I saw Ralphie May before Ralphie May died. Ralphie went to Afghanistan, and Ralphie's a lot bigger than I am. Well, he's dead now, but he's he was a lot bigger than I am. And uh, they didn't have a flap jacket that fit him. <laughs> you know? So uh, he was uh, more of a target than he was anything. And uh, I have no interest in, in doing that. So they'd have to get, uh, I guess they have to clamshell him uh, yeah. since I'm big. You know, like they do with the, uh, I went to the hospital a couple years ago and they went to put a gown and they had to put two gowns on, one on the front, one on the back. They clamshell you uh, so that there's no surprises either way, apparently. And uh, I assume they would probably have to do the same thing uh, with a flap jacket. Or I get, I, what they call them, a flap jacket? Or a flap I can't. Jacket? I don't know. I'm not sure. It's something like that. I should know, but you, I don't. You get a helmet and you get a bulletproof vest type thing uh, that they give you. And that tells you what kind of environment you're going into. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. Are there uh, comedians that you look up to now? Yes, without a doubt. There's a handful of them. Um, for both their their art and their person just being a good human because that's as people are finding out now that the world gets smaller and smaller with the internet and in light of recent um you know uh documentaries and things that we're learning about some of our heroes i was always told never ever meet your heroes yeah because it'll it'll really disappoint you and i've been very fortunate that uh i have met a couple of my heroes and they they did not disappoint you know uh, awesome. george carlin was a very sweet kind person more than people realize uh very endearing and and uh, was and just i i could never be more thankful than the time i got with him um jimmy pardo is a comic that lives in los angeles he's been around for a long time uh he too has a podcast called never not funny very 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 funny guy he he is a uh an off-the-cuff type comic where um, he has some material, but he's going to riff on his thoughts, not on the people. He don't do that. We don't. Yeah. We riff on our thoughts, and it's just this random subconscious stream of nonsense. And he and I have a similar type of uh, style. I've got a great deal of material written, but I love doing that. That's like here. I know this will come out a different date, but. At the comedy club here in Paris, we're doing a show called Off the Cuff. Yep. And it's all improv. Uh, the comics will go up. They'll do five minutes of material. Then they have to come back up and do five minutes of material on random things that they have no idea what they're talking about till they pop up on the screen. It's comedy without a net. And to me, that is the most rewarding. I love nothing more than being a part of that. Typically, I, f- I do well in it. And I love watching people who don't do well in it, too, because yeah. it's just as funny. Everything is so funny. So anyway, uh, Pardo is without a doubt. He was he was a, hu- a huge influence. Rory Scovel is a very good comedian, very funny guy. I'll never I'll never spit out names that that do arenas because that doesn't those people are they've already arrived and they're now manufactured products kevin hart's a manufactured product you know he's got so many people around him telling him how he needs to be and what he needs to be um kevin hart 20 years ago was probably a terrific comic you know it's Mm -hmm. just it's a different type of comedy um who else kind of fits that that bubble that's really influential at this level anyway or this a room type level tom segura burt kreischer burt makes me laugh um I met Bert a couple times. I like watching Bert on Instagram. I love watching his stories because it's it's just his daily life, and he's just he laughs at everything. Everything is so good. It's so funny, mm-hmm. you know. And it's it's just a it just invokes a happy feeling. So I would say those guys: Jimmy Pardo, without a doubt, Bert Kreischer, Roy Scovel, and Tom Segura. Awesome. Uh, so. I, I have known of you for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I've seen you in passing and at events and stuff like that. It's been only been more recently that we've started doing things uh, together, uh, being at board meetings or... or Thank you for uh, clarifying that and, and, and not making us some sort of uncomfortable, awkward man-man thing. With no. The, you know, just <laughs> no. But one of my favorite things about hanging out with you and being around you is is the off-the-cuff you know kind of humor you have because literally it yeah. was... Was it... Yesterday morning, right? We were we were in a meeting and uh, you had me rolling. No, thank um, you. Because of like things that were going on in the meeting, and, and it was just kind of off the cuff humor. Uh, it's so funny to see people this not 
understand what they're walking into. Right. And leaving the door open. And, um, and then again, too, I, I have to be careful not to be that person that just constantly fills the room with yeah. that kind of stuff because it has to function at some point in time, and it's not always about me. And that's what goes back to that point of why comics get on stage. There's an issue with attention. Yep. That's when I said it was a therapy. It's a you. We want to you know look at us and look. And I think that with because of comedy, I f- I forget about my insecurities. I forget I'm I'm when I'm on stage, I don't have any issues with hecklers. None of that yeah. nonsense. Just I f- I know I fill a room, and when I'm on stage, I'm in total control. And these people are following everything I say, and it may, and it forces me to look past the things that physically bother me, whether it be my weight, my thinning hair, my age, maybe it be um, my my challenges in, in, interpersonally, or what I might have in, internally, or you know spiritually, or whatever. All that seems to be shielded by the fact that I'm the hero. I think when I first when you're done with the show, there's a receiving line, and people come up and they want to take photographs and what mm-hmm. have you, and sign sign autographs and and all that stuff. And I think there's two points in, in time that made me realize that the, what I was doing was bigger than I thought and bigger than me. And that is when you're when I was first recognized outside of a show for doing what I do. Yeah, that was uh, at, at lunch with somebody who was who. Uh, was a friend, and then they they came and they said, "I don't mean to impose, but can we get a photograph?" I thought these people were out of their minds. Why would they even want this? Why would they even? I mean, who who? What am I? Nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I dawned, I was like, "You made them feel good at some point in time." Yep. And that's that's your job. And that was that was a, a, a defining moment. The second was for. Years and years and years, I'd go back home to the comedy club in Corpus, and I would do shows there, and I would always—they were always fine. All my friends and family come out. But last year, I—I I did a—I headlined a show at the American Bank Center, which is the Selena Auditorium that seats about twenty-five hundred people for a festival they were having. And um, my mom and brother—they—they they typically come out. But the uh, when I came off stage. They had my our merch line set up, and they had my wife and my kids. They were selling merch, and the people were waiting. And uh, you, there's just euphoric feeling of look, you these people like you. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't they don't care that your that your hair is thinning or that you <laughs> that you're 100, 200, 250 pounds overweight, whatever it is. They they love what you did. They this is the equivalent of art. This is equivalent of a Paris three sixty. It's equivalent of a photo. It's equivalent of painting. They love so much the words that we crafted together to put into a joke that they deemed it necessary to spend a few dollars with you and to stop and, and want to say hello. Mm-hmm. Then when it was done, it was done. You're That's, you're just a person. Yeah. It's a weird, weird, weird thing. That's what you know. The suicide rate's very high amongst uh, the people in entertainment. People can't figure out, especially comics. Why are these guys killing themselves? We just Brody Stevens just uh, killed himself. Not even. A month ago, and it's probably not a common name in the comedy outside the comedy world, but in the comedy world, he was a, he was a hero, just a legend, and uh, uh, just off his meds and took his own life. And it was like, why? You know, Robin Williams hung himself. Everybody's like, why? Beautiful wife, beautiful children, beautiful life, a great career. He didn't want to face the world with the disease he thought that he had coming down the pipe, you know, or whatever. And that's this. This is how they think, and so. You, you see this, and this totally goes off to tangent. I apologize, but, it's okay. but this is what happens: is is you? It's this euphoric high, and then this quick, immediate down. Just shows over. People are done. You collected your money. You're sitting in a hotel room. It's three thirty in the morning. You can't come down. You're you're still high from the from the work. You know, you're still jacked up, and you can't come down. And then when you you finally do, you're by yourself in a hotel room in, in Sioux City Falls, Iowa, you know, going, what am I going to do now? You know, oh, I know, I'm going to get on my laptop and see what's happening at home, or I'm going to watch, you know, infomercials at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then you leave to do it again. It's a weird it's a weird life. Yeah, it really is. It's crazy. So uh, you kind of answered it, but I kind of wanted to talk about it anyway. So do you find it difficult um, being in real-world situations 
and holding back your humor? You know what? Maybe it's the opposite, and I'll t- and, and and I'll tell you, if people expect you to be on. They do because of your your career. They expect you always to be funny. That's like you know running into a meeting a doctor someplace. Someone goes, "Hi, this is Doctor So and So." Well, hey, Doc, get a, look at this. Can you tell me what's wrong with this nipple? Or can you tell you know they don't? They're constantly practicing medicine, you know, mm-hmm. and so we expect them to continue practicing when they see us. And so I hate it. There's nothing more than when somebody says. Um, uh, this is Daryl. He's a he's a comedian, and and you just I cringe inside because the person who doesn't know they go oh really tell me a joke yeah oh okay like a knock knock joke right well do you have eight dollars on you or or whatever it is because I you know I, I get ten dollars for every two minutes or whatever it's it's almost kind of upsetting so like I was in Florida recently uh, doing a run there we had been traveling all day and we show up to the hotel and we go to check in they ask for your name. And they go, oh, you're the you're the comedian that's playing down the street. I said, yes, ma'am. And they go, oh, great. And I said, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. She goes, well, you don't seem very funny. I was like, oh, well, you you don't you don't seem very educated. I don't. I was just like, why are you doing this to me? Yeah. You know? And she made the comment. She looked at the other and goes, he's gonna have to get it together for tonight. I was like, what are you doing? You know, just let me be. So it kind of goes the other way. You know, yeah. I, they expect you to be on and you're not, and then. And I think because of because of my size and how big I am, not just weight but height and girth of my shoulders and my brow, if I'm not smiling, then there's something wrong with me. Yeah. You know, that he's he's mean, he's tough, he's he's a pain in the backside or, or whatever, you know. And it's not true. It's just again, it, you're you're a dancing monkey to some people. And they're like, Come on, dance. Do it. Hop. Let's go. Show us something. Um but yes, it is in that case too. Sometimes you have to pick and choose. Timing's critical. Children don't have it. Yeah, my children are very funny, and they're learning timing. Um, they they're learning to pick the right time. My boy, it took him longer. Uh, he would just the wrong time, say the wrong thing. It was funny, but not right now. Is that something they've asked you to kind of guide them in? Have no. They, did they want to be? No. In your career? No. And I don't know if I'd want them to be. I, I want them to do whatever makes them happy. That's true. Yeah, yeah that's that's, that's the most important. My son did stand up. Um, he We just talked about it one day, and I said, do you want to do it? We happen to be here in town. And I said, well, we've got a show tonight at the club. Let's do a, a little three-minute set. So we sat down. We wrote some jokes. He was 10 at the time. Got up. Did it. They loved it. Of course, he's 10. It doesn't matter what comes out of his yeah. mouth. Yeah. Um, they gave him a standing ovation. It was on video, and he sat down and loved it. He did uh, something similar once more. I took him on a on, – I had some corporate runs during the holidays where I'll get these Christmas parties for a bank, a Christmas party for this company, or so on and so forth, and I'll, they'll string four or five of them together for me throughout the Metroplex. And, uh, and he went with me on a run, and uh, – one of them was at a municipality for Pilot Point. They were having their annual Christmas party for the mm-hmm. city employees. Uh, it was only about 200, 250 people there. And um, we get on stage, and there's two. There's It's a terrible situation. There's two schoolhouse pianos, uh, and then their PA system is a small karaoke machine. Okay. And my my son, pretty, pretty clever, says, hey, you see that? Uh, they got a karaoke machine up there. I said, yeah, I know. It's going to be our PA. And he said, you got to just tell them for fun that the, the jokes will just roll across the screen. If they don't hear them, they can just read them as they go along. And I thought, that's pretty pretty sharp for a kid. Yep. And then he said, if, and then he made the comment, goes, and if things go bad, he goes, you can always do dueling pianos. And there was two of them up there. And I said, you know what would be fun? I said, um, if things don't go well, because it tip, sometimes you look at these municipalities where the rules are extremely strict on content. I mean, very strict. They're stricter than than church uh, policy shows, which I've done a couple of those. I've done some churches, and and their 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 leniency is a little more so than a municipality because if there's an issue, it could be at HR on Monday morning talking about it. You know, so mm-hmm. I can't say this, I can't say that. We can't talk about this issue. We can't talk about that. The, it gets narrow and narrow. So uh, I say, you know, it'd be fun is if I if I start to tank or if I don't like it, I'll call you up and you can just come play piano. And he goes, oh, that'd be great. So 
I get up there. I'm 20 minutes in, and I'm doing very well, in fact. And everybody's having a great time. And the crowd's pretty split. You've got some really young, progressive, excited people. And then you've got some folks who really should have retired 10 years ago that are showing it by the color of their hair. And so you, they're just – and they're not getting all the jokes. And I thought, uh, you know what, let's go ahead and do it. So at that point in time, I'm literally walking by the microphone. I, I run my fingers across the piano, and I say uh, – Son, I said, uh, you want to come up here and play a number for these people? And uh, I said, yeah, get on up here. I said, ladies and gentlemen, my son, he's with me tonight, Garrick. Come on up. And the crowd applauds as he gets up to the piano. And I said, why don't you play that one little Christmas number your mom and I love so much? And I just kind of stare off, off into the crowd, you know. And he takes his fingers and he, and he kind of does this, you know, and he checks for the middle C. He doesn't know how to play at all. That's the joke. So then he just starts hitting keys. Nothing's right. It's all just clank, clank, terrible, nothing. He has no music ability whatsoever. And I don't know why, because I, I play 14, 15 instruments. He has none. So he's just, and it's all so funny. I'm holding face. The crowd, the younger people are starting to get it. The older people are, are like, God, this kid's terrible, you know? And he plays for about a half a minute. And then when he's done, he, he kind of hits a, an ending note and then uh, throws a hand up just like this. I mean, he's probably... 11 at the time, you know, throws his hand up like he's done. He gets up and he bows. And the crowd, you can tell the younger people, they just think it's a greatest joke in the world. They, they applaud and even stand. The folks who are less in tune with things, a little bit up in age, just kind of slowly clap and look around like, boy, that kid, there's something wrong with them. They, nobody knows that he's he's handicapped or something. I don't know. They are just they're, they're just couldn't figure it out. And we got back to the hotel room, and I just I laughed for hours. I thought... Oh, my God, that was so funny to me, and I hope it was to them. And he said, yeah, that was great. And you know what? Hasn't been on stage since. Really? Has, he's, he's done one or two things at school, and that's it. You know, he emceed the um, middle school uh, uh, talent show the year after I did it, and that's another great story that uh, that I got in trouble for. Um <laughs> I won't that one that one that one's that one I should I won't do on the air. I'll uh, I'll tell it to you off the air. Okay. That's one of those. Um there's stories I'll tell on there, and then there's some that I that's the other thing I learned about living in a small town is that there's just some stories that don't need to be recorded. Yep. You know? Yep. Uh, I mean you can go to my website and go to my blog and read the story, uh, listeners, if you've got the time. So you go to yeah, DarylFelsberg.com. Go through the blog. You'll find all kinds of great entries. Um, find the one about the middle school uh, talent show. And uh, you'll you'll enjoy it. But, What's that address again? Uh, DarylFelsberg.com. Yeah, awesome. you, you can go there and figure that out. So, uh, but yeah, I've, there's a there's always a couple of great stories that uh, that I can share, but there's a bunch I won't. Um, so that's awesome. But he hasn't expressed interest either. Just just no. So he what loves he, it. He's a fan of it. Yeah. You know, my kids are they've grown up in it. So like I've got. Video of my uh, my daughter and my son. Um, it sounds creepy, but it's not playing with Michael Winslow, who uh, was the gentleman from the Police Academy movies, made yeah, all the yeah, sound yeah, effects. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah they're him. they're both uh, all three of them sitting around on the floor, just um, making up transformer sounds and 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 making jokes about uh, how Michael Bay lived his life. You know, everything's an explosion or whatever. And um, you know, I've got a uh, 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 Julie McCullough, who was a Playboy playmate. Her, um, she was on the TV show Family Ties. No, Growing Pains. She was Mike Seaver's uh, love interest. Okay. And he kicked her. And when he found out personally, Kirk Cameron found out personally, he had her fired from the show after three seasons uh, when he found out that she was a playmate. Um you know she's a she's a good friend, and the kids have spent time with her. You know, and all these uh, actors and actresses and comics. So they've kind of grown up in the in the business of uh, of of comedy but they don't not not no expression of getting up on stage which is fine that's awesome it's awesome i love i mean i'm i'm a little different but i love my my eldest son who's eight but he loves being in plays and doing photography and, yeah um and i've always same i've always said whatever he wants to do if he wants to play football i'll be out there filming it you know because that's my go. thing but i'll be there but i it something there's something in my heart that brings a little happiness that he wants to do stuff that I'm also interested in. It takes it, but and the good thing is they have a lifetime. Yeah. You know, they have oh, a yeah. lifetime. And that's what I, my, my daughter, uh, Zoe, she's, 
she's a, a great clarinet player. She's in seventh or sixth grade. I'm not a good dad. I don't remember the year, what grades they're in. She's in sixth grade, and she plays guitar and she sings and she dances and she loves. She's she has more of that in her than I do. My son, I could see him doing stand up. He's he's just kind of got that, you know. But that's for him to decide. And that's yeah. for, and when the time's right, uh, I'll let him do that. Uh, right now, I think he's going to be a marine biologist, is what he says. Awesome. So, or awesome. a police car. I don't know. I really don't know what he's going to be. <laughs> that's up to him. But uh, that's a true story. When he was a child, uh, they did the kindergarten thing where they would walk him across the stage. Yeah. And, what are you going to be when you grow up? I have it on video. And he says, I'm going to be a car wash attendant. And everybody kind of giggled. He said, or a police car. And I was like, what? What the? He said, "Car man." He didn't say policeman. He said, "I'm going to be a police car." Like he's a tra- like he's going to be an Autobot. You know? <laughs> to this day, I still laugh at that, and I and I pick on him relentlessly for it. But um, oh, if great. he chooses to do so, that's his business. You know. Um. So off subject. Uh, when did you open the club here? Two thousand and ten, I think it was. We started doing shows. Yeah, two thousand ten. We started doing shows in 2008 above Jack's Restaurant. B.A. Sessives had come to me when uh, I came to town. I had done one show in Paris uh, just for fun at the depot uh, because it was the only place I knew of. And we sold it out. We had 140 or 150 people there. Mm -hmm. And uh, he... uh, (laughs) Club. Okay. So we started doing shows at BAs. Uh, he approached me about doing a show up there, and I said that'd be great. We started it there. When it had legs of its own, um, we decided to open a venue. It was committed to that so that it wouldn't interrupt it. Yep. Um, and we didn't want to – we didn't – comedy in a bar can happen. I do them. They're just not my favorite. I don't – I'm kind of – you when you when you start off that way and you're in bars all the time, yeah. you don't want to be in them anymore. I don't yeah. – I, I think they're great to visit once in a very great while, but – I just typically don't go. So I wanted some place where you and your wife could come, sit down, have a show, not worry about anything, enjoy it, have a great time, and then be done and go. You mm-hmm. don't have to worry about uh, messes or you know people being drunk or, or whatever. And so it had to have a, a place of its own. It's hard for it to exist. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't make money. Often it's in the hole. Um, but it it was started as a place for me to work out at. There's no open mics. I have to travel to Dallas if I'm off the road to go to an open mic. There I can go to 30 of them in two nights if I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I have someplace here that when I'm not on the road that we do a show every two weeks, then I'll hop up on stage five minutes in between somebody, work on something new, hop off. And then we bring some sort of culture to town. Well, then I realized that people would also want to see improv, intimate music, mm-hmm. um, dueling pianos, uh, that type of stuff. So we just let the stage rotate. As long as it's not, um, I, I say live music, um, you know, Cass has done a show or two here. He's doing another one here next week, I think, or week after. Um, Susan, um, God, I can't think of her. Susan Gibson, she's the one that wrote Wide Open Spaces for the Dixie Chicks. She, she's done a show here. Um Young lady named Danielle at the sandwich. She uh, is a terrific uh, uke player. She covers uh, popular songs on. It's, she's a tremendous singer. She's been here. Kinky Freeman's been here several times. So it, the club kind of it kind of morphs to whatever that needs. But its mainstay is stand up comedy or experimental comedy. It's kind of the new thing. You yeah. know, um, the traditional three person show is still fun, and we still enjoy this, especially if it's somebody. We've seen on television or whatever, but these experimental shows for me are are kind of enlightening and motivating. So like this off the cuff show, and then I'll tell you, I'll let us cat out of the bag. Uh, we've got two others that we're going to do. One is called Comedy in a Box, and we've got five packages that'll come from Amazon, and nobody knows the contents of these five <laughs> packages. So the comics will go up, do two or three minutes like they normally would, then they have to open the box see what it is, and it's going to be things they can't figure out. And then they're going to have to make up and sell these items to the audience, <laughs> you know? And so we think it's we think it's going to have a lot of fun to it yeah. and bring a different perspective. And then another one is, um, I think it was the top ten list. Yeah, or, or yeah, top ten list. And that's, we're going to pick a, you know, five comics, and they'll have five bands from different genres and eras. 
and their topics are going to be those bands' top five songs. So okay. that they have to write five minutes of material none beknownst to them who their band is so they might get up and it could be journey and they'll have to do journey's top five hits but those top five hits they have to do comedy around them you know so and the way the way they'll learn who the band is is that's the music they'll intro to so yeah it's really this whole experimental comedy thing is uh that's awesome yeah it's just something different you know yeah um improv uh is always is always a hit to me i think i love watching you know, being in the moment. There's nothing. There's something about life. There's something about being there. You'll never see the same show again, man. Yeah. You know. And if you're not there, catchy, you missed it. Yeah. It's and, gone. Yeah, it's gone. You can't. You can't ever get it again. So club's been here since then. Uh, 2010. Uh, I guess it'll be its. Uh, I guess next year will be its 10th anniversary here. Ooh. But we've been uh, we've been doing shows for you know 12 years here and and in Paris and we've been very very lucky that. It's been tolerated, but it uh, it's hot and cold, you know. Yeah. Some shows will walk in, there's 20 people. Uh, some shows will walk in, there's 120 people. Just depends on the time of the year, the weather, and how everybody's feeling, I guess. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Now you and your wife recently opened uh, or, or bought into another shop, right? Yeah, about five, four, well, let's see, four years ago now, uh, we bought a uh, an existing business uh, called Olive Paris, which is a uh, an olive oil and balsamic vinegar tasting room, essentially a gourmet food shop. And it was something that she had always, gourmet food was something that she'd always been interested in. Mm-hmm. And uh, the opportunity came about, and we thought that we could kind of add our, our 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 marketing prowess to it mm-hmm. and some other ideas. And uh, that's become a that's become a fun uh, secondary job for me. I love, I see you guys do all the time, like cooking classes. And yeah. um, you guys are very, I mean, in bo- in all aspects, you are very community minded and community uh, uh, mindset, um, which is amazing because I love people that are like that. I love my community, um, and it's just fun seeing how how you bring people into both your club and your shop. You know, down I, I never. You remember earlier I mentioned that that even though I was part of that big high school, mm-hmm. my group was my neighborhood you know we you know in in south texas you often hear referred to as a body or whatever mm-hmm. um i'm still very close to a lot of those kids and those families that we grew up together in that neighborhood uh, you know and these are little 800 900 square foot homes that that families have stayed in for a couple and for a generation two or three for that matter now so when i moved to to Lubbock and Amarillo, as great as those communities were, and they're terrific communities, they're so big, you know, so mm-hmm. vast. Um, and when I travel around, I visit these other cities, I just, there's the community's hard to say in a lot of these cities. So when we moved to Paris and I started uh, hanging out downtown a little bit, um, I, there's something I just liked about downtown, despite it stayed at the time. You know, uh, which mm-hmm. was two thirds empty and or a third empty and and nothing really happening. Our first Christmas here, we went to. They called it Christmas in Paris. They had it downtown, mm-hmm. or Tinsel and Tidy, or something. It was downtown. It wasn't the. It wasn't the shopping event. It was a where they had carolers walking yep. around in uh, Victorian garb. Yep, you know, I remember that. Yeah, and they had the ice slide behind the Gibraltar uh, that they had brought in, and, and you got a two. Excuse me, got an inner tube, and you walked up, and you slid down, and and we walked around downtown. And I thought, oh my God, this is great. I, I want to stay here. The selling point to me coming here uh, was it was close enough to Dallas, but not Dallas. I, and an hour and 40 minutes, I can be on an airplane and be anywhere I need to be in the world, and I'm good. So, But I can come back here where cost of living is reasonable. Mm-hmm. I know my kids, who they're with. I know their parents. I know yep. you couldn't beat it. So being in this little downtown community, and I keep seeing it. And like, so we've been here for you know 10 years downtown now. And just watching it grow and seeing people pop up and the new businesses and the new excitement and you're seeing some good people do some good things, it that that's community, you know. Yeah. And so that that I cherish, and I, I want to be a part of. You know, I love events downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love 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 events downtown. We were uh, we put together an Oktoberfest uh, for two years, that was such a thrill. And every time I drive by the location uh, where it was at, I. I 
you can't I couldn't I can't help but smile and go we really did something fun and good there and and that type of stuff downtown just needs to happen more and more we need more festivals and events yeah and you and I have talked numerous times about ideas uh and I know you've got four or five in your head that you've told me about and just make me laugh um (laughs) Uh, because they're not only witty, they're <laughs> they're dumb. <laughs> they're not dumb. I mean, they're dumb in a funny way. But the, like, to me, if I was showing up in a in a small town like this and I saw that event happening, I would want to go to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think we need more of that in in our town. I think we do too. I think that's the only thing. The only thing keeping Paris back. We can only do so much for the twenty five thousand of us that are here. Right. Okay. We have to have reasons. For people to leave Dallas to come Here. visit us for a day or two, that's it. That's the, why would they need to come visit us? Well, if there's not an event or a festival, there's no reason. You know, we put together the Tower City Comedy Festival in January this year. It was the first year we've ever done it. Mm-hmm. A, lo- a big learning curve, but we had 50 comics come from literally all over the country. We had one come from Venezuela. I mean, they came from all over. And the first thing, we sent out an anonymous survey afterwards to determine whether or not I'd do this again. And I asked them to tell us, you know, what you thought about this, you know, gave them grades, you know, and I want to to grade this event. And one of the things that we got back, the number one thing was the hospitality. That that Julia Treg at People's Bank, she took care of them during their downtime. They would go there to eat. It was a hospitality room. And they said everybody there was so nice, and Julie remembered everybody's names, and you know, and then they would go to the venues, and everybody was so nice. They're not acclimated to that. They're, no. they're not used to that. We do have a really neat little downtown that it it has some big obstacles that need to get out of the way. But if people would and and we did, it would be through the roof. It would be a McKinney or a Sulphur Springs mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, I just had another lady call me last night. Um, a little town called Hugh Springs, out of all places. They have a little theater there, and, and they're trying to get me to come in. And we have a big festival coming in that draws several thousand people. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God. Why don't we have a festival that draws several thousand people from outside of the market? Yeah. You know, that's what we need is from outside of the market. We, you know, we need those. You need those Oktoberfest. You need those those uh, yes. St. Patrick's Day festivals. You need, you know, um, movie uh, festivals and, and what have film festivals and, and that type of stuff Love we it. need those things to bring those people we want the outside people it's the heads and beds issue yes. that the city faces that's it otherwise let me tell you this we do a good job for taking care of our own we have enough events downtown that and, and in the city that really takes care of its residents and the people that are here correct but if we don't have other things that bring people from outside of that market in you know what? Your kid's not going to want to stay here when he turns 18. Nope. My kids have already said they're going to move away. I did. It's heartbreaking. I grew up here and I moved away. And yeah. I went and saw the world and then I came back. You came back. I, I hope that they come back. But I already, my both my children said that they just felt like after high school, there's nothing for them here. Uh, there's a certain part of me that agrees that they should go see parts of the world on their sure. own. No parents. You know, but I I would like my kids to want to be here. To after, want to, yeah. After a, after a little exploration, yes, I'd want them to come back. They go to college, be- somewhere else. Go do something else. Not that I'm against PJC. I love PJC. Just you know, I agree. Get Nothing out. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, yeah, but you're right. They got to go. Man, I I left home when I was 17, and I moved away, and I'd never been on an airplane before. None of that stuff. And at the time, my work took me, you know, all over the country. I, I got to see all kinds of great things and what have you. And I've I've been to the big cities. I've mm-hmm. I've been to I've been all over the country. I've been all over the hemisphere. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've been to to Nicaragua and I've been to El Salvador and I've been down to Brazil and I've been all over the, the Arctic and what have you in Canada. And um, there's something about raising a family here. The irony of it is, we come back to raise a family, and then our family doesn't want to be here. <laughs> I said this in other podcasts. It took traveling, which is a weird thing to say, but it took traveling for me because I've done a lot of uh, uh, United States travel and a little bit of abroad travel. But it took me traveling to find the beauty in Paris. To find the beauty in Paris. What do you think the beauty is? It's our community. Okay. It's the potential that we have to bring those outside people in and show them the beauty that we have here. It's our history. Yeah. Um, I I think there's so much history that people just don't even know that we have. 
Um, I'm actually working on a, a, a video for the chamber that highlights some of the history of, it, it's focused on chamber history, which is great, but it's also focused on Paris history. Sure. Um, and, uh, and I just think there's so much that, that people don't know about our, our community. You know, I think a lot of communities have that. If you go to any community, they have a history. Most they've been around for a hundred years. They have their own their own local lore, if you will. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, we always find that fascinating. But I, I always encourage people to go to like Jefferson. Yeah. And and walk down Jefferson. Jefferson on a Saturday night. Um, people talk about going to Sulphur Springs. Walk down Sulphur Springs on a Saturday night at about six o'clock, when the farmers market is in ripe and they've got bands playing on the plaza and what have you see they've run out of it they, they don't have to wait for an excuse to create foot traffic because they right. have something happening all the time we typically are our events is centered and, and centered and if that's and if that's the case that's fine right we just need to have we need more use of that plaza yes we've got uh, we we need the two-way streets we need to take the stoplights out let me put up some barricades uh, once every month or two for a downtown festival. If I, if I, if we could have a few of our organizations, a few of our, our community people like yourself, having more events more often, it it will feel like to outsiders that there is always something happening in Paris. There's a pl- it's a place to be. There's a place to be there because there's always something going on. Well, think about it. It's only an hour and a half from the edge of the Metroplex. Mm-hmm. There's enough hotels. To, it's it's everything's there. You have to do it, but you've got to give them a reason to. What's the yep. reason to come? You know, I I enjoy looking at our at our ticket manifest to see, like, uh, I'll give you I'll give you a staggering um, stat, if you will, from the comedy festival that we put on in January. We sold more passes, festival passes, outside of Lamar County than we did in Lamar County. We sold we shipped out more passes outside. We had people coming from. Dallas and from Oklahoma and Arkansas and what have you than we did in town. I think also that's the other part of it too is that there's a faction of people that kind of fight mm-hmm. the progress. Yeah. You know, or they or they immediately, um, ref- excuse the term, but they immediately poo-poo on it. You know, yeah. they immediately go, oh, that's a foolish idea. I love, I, I enjoyed when we had the issue with the parking when that first came up downtown and that they put up the, they, they would start to enforce the two hour rule. And I was really amazed and insulted by the comments from people that said, well, there's no reason to come downtown anyway. There's nothing open. There's no shops downtown. There's no entertainment downtown. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know how that is somebody that just hasn't been, has no idea, but it was frequent. That's the mindset. That's what everybody's up against. The research, like, the more I've researched into some of these negative people, these people aren't even coming downtown to know that that thing's open. Literally, the other day I was talking with a person, and they've noticed a comment on Facebook saying that I was going to go downtown, but I decided to go to Sherman because there's no parking. That person happened to live, the person that saw this on Facebook happened to live downtown, stuck her head out the window, took a picture of literally no cars in parking lots in parking spots completely open yeah all the way to downtown so either a massive event just left right <laughs> within yeah. five minutes of them posting that or they they were lying it's not it's not uncommon by the way it's not uncommon to have to walk a block or two in a downtown go to fort worth or sundance square you know you go never to, complain about that no st cloud florida I, I go to all st cloud minnesota i go to all these downtowns where i work at and and you i have to park a block or two away no by the way i do complain about it but it's still i still have to block park a block or two away you don't have to here but you don't turn around and go home no and i don't and i don't deny the fact oh, i'm not going to spend money down there now i'm not going to go down oh that's a good call way to go you're 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 you know you're biting off your nose in spite of your face and, and you don't get it you're part of that community where who was it somebody yesterday in the meeting said that there hasn't been a mall a mall built in 20 years we, we the that theory is gone shopping strips yes, yes with specialty stores but that that's gone yes it's it's now reverted back to specialty mom and pop type stores who are finding niches and that they can get into yep. um you know similar to ours or some of these others that there's that they can't compete with you know it comes down to supporting your community care and caring about the people that you live around yeah I, now i get it 
you know, there are things in Dallas and Sherman that I want that I want that aren't offered here. Like I get that. Like what? Just curious. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, there's certain restaurants that I like to eat at that that aren't here. If you say Olive Garden or Red oh, Lobster, I, I will flip this table and this inf- I don't interview's like I, over. I don't like either of those. Oh, that's not fair. They're good people. They're good f- food places. It's just not my. <laughs> I'm it's, it's not my. Uh, it's not my cup of tea. Okay, so what you? I right, just add. Uh, let's don't turn men's, tables. Men's clothing. Okay, well, now, listen, you're a gentleman with a bow tie, so let's start there. You've got Tony's here in town, okay? He, do, he doesn't do much on the bow tie side. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have a very big bow tie selection. So he maybe does not. Get Tony on here and ask him about his bow tie selection. Well, I've actually, I haven't done it yet, and okay. I don't, I, I'm even hesitant to, to go there because I don't want to be held to it. I've considered starting my own bow tie line. You're, uh, okay. And I've even, I've even spoken with Tony about him carrying that bow tie Your line. Broadway bow ties. Well, why not? Yeah. Well, time and money. <laughs> Oh sure, yeah, no, that's another project. Uh, we've you got all those, um, but okay. So men, all right, so you have to go shop. There's not a and my particular style uh-huh. is very eclectic. Okay, and it's just not offered here as as much. If you, I was you wear you wear bow ties and ladies jeans. How hard is that to find? That <laughs> harder than you think. It's no different than me. I I'm a, a big tall. I wear a three XL and everything I own. My shoes. I wear a fourteen, sometimes a thirteen. I can't find shoes half the time. Right. You know, shorts, shirts. My son is is the same way. You know, he's getting taller and bigger. And I told him, I said, you better enjoy getting clothes locally now because before long you're going to have to drive. So when I when I travel, that's when I that's when I buy clothes. I, I I go into particular shops that I enjoy or chain stores or whatever, and find what fits in a three XL, three uh, XLT. Now I had the length on to cover my gut. Yeah. Okay. Keep it longer. We'll take it a different direction. Camera gear, computer equipment. Oh, like, sure. I mean, you just those are things that you're going to find in a in a larger town. I mean, there's a drone stuff. There's a place in. Uh, uh, Frisco called Drone Plus. Plus. Yes. I love that place. I know. Go in there. You get. Do you go inside the? Uh, do you test fly them inside the? Net yeah, cage in the net cage. Sure, you get your... just, That's not offered here. So I get that there are some niches that you have to go. Away. The, the market can't support things yeah. like that. And, I, and, and yeah, a drone plus in Paris, Texas would never survive. No, of course not. Um, you know, and a, a bow tie store alone would never survive in Paris, Texas. No, and I did have this this thought once. All right, there's there's things that 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 men. All right, there's plenty of things for ladies. There's how many boutique shops. Or they're oh, in downtown. Yeah. A dozen now, and close to it? None of them carry a, a man's anything. No, of course not. And that, see, they, they cater to the ladies. So th- there's things that men like. We, we like electronics, things that make that we can plug in that make a warring sound, yep. right? We like uh, 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 technology. We like barbecue. We like uh, fighting. We like bow ties. We enjoy hats, sports, yes. music. So I thought about opening a man store. Where yeah. it's just nothing but men's stuff. You could have drones. You could have computers. Just a little bit of everything. Cigars, naked ladies, it. whatever. <laughs> exactly. The whole, the whole yards. Whatever a man could want, yeah. need, or desire is right there in a man's shop. Not a thing for it. Closest thing you got is Tony's. Yep. You know. And Tony's doing great. I'm not. Terrific. I'm not. I'm not. You know. I love Tony Bound. Man, I. Yes. Like, every time I go in there, he is the nicest person. He hugs me. He tells me ten stories. It takes me thirty minutes to get out of there, which I love because he has the heart. Or that, he asks you a question, and then three seconds later, he's talking about something else. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is great. That's the kind <laughs> of that's the kind of communication community I want sure. when I go into a small store. Um, there's just yeah. There's just a few. We just things don't have that, that. Yeah. But that's the small price you pay. For knowing who's teaching your children, Agreed. who your children are hanging out with, Agreed. who your neighbors are and your friends are. That's why we're here. There's a number of times that I could have moved to the West Coast, uh, taken other opportunities, done other things. Yeah. But. No, I wouldn't trade. I'm fine. I wouldn't trade a drone store, a bow tie store. I wouldn't trade any no. of those things that I, I would rather travel away to get to those things or order on Amazon yeah. or whatever it takes to get those things. And live here. I agree. I'm down with that. You know, and I, I'm I'm very. We're you know my family, my kids. I know my kids don't appreciate it. I know that. I get that. They're kids. Yeah. I think Heather and I do. I know Heather does. We love um, because we're not Parisians, and we're the sights. You know, we're we're not. Uh, we weren't bred here, and so there's a. Uh, it, it's a little difficult getting to know everybody sometimes. Yeah. 
we don't fit in, and, and that's okay. We're not supposed to. We didn't. We didn't go. Our our, our parents didn't go to school with one another, mm-hmm. so we we get a little of that, and we understand. But for the most part, outside of some of those situations, the community's been pretty pretty good. They open armed us when we first came to town. They uh, they they open armed. Yeah, you know they were they were glad to have us here, and uh, I don't know if that's because they were excited about the new genes that we brought to the community. You know, and uh, everybody everybody's excited about not having babies with flippers. Not kidding. Uh, it seems like everybody you talk to is either related, or has been married to, or is somehow a cousin. Yeah, to yeah, somebody. There's, some truth to that. there's a lot of truth to that. That's a small town, America, though. Oh, that's, it is. That's, I mean, it's a small big town. Yeah, it's a little big town. Yeah, it's twenty five thousand people. It's just big enough to get lost, but just small enough to find your way when you're done. And I love it. I do too. I agree. It's a good time. Man, thank you so much for being on my podcast. No, thank you for having me. This was fun. This was fun. I love it, and I love I love that you're you're a part of our community. Ah, I appreciate it. Y'all have been terrific, and I'm glad. uh, I. You know, initially I said when I died I want to be buried back home in Corpus, but I uh, decided that uh, can't uh, we'll, we'll stay here. Yeah. We'll, we'll die here. Awesome. So you're welcome. Awesome. For that. <laughs> I, I I love that you, you have that heart. <laughs> um, you mean one that's clogged that I could partially make that true before long? <laughs> <laughs> no. That heart? No, no, that's not okay. what I meant. Okay, very good. Um, all right, guys, thank you all so much for joining us. As always, we have a podcast every Monday. Tune in next Monday for a new guest. Um also, I want to send one more shout-out to Cycle Works. Go check them out. It's just warming up. It's perfect weather right now for biking. Go get your bike at Cycle Works. Talk to Brad. He will hook you up. Go find them on Facebook. Like them. Share their stuff. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring this podcast. We will see you next week. <laughs>